Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to the Well Church. My name is Joshua Kale. For those of you who do not know, I'm the lead pastor here, and we are glad that you are with us this morning as we wrap up our series, Old Paths, New Power. Now, before we dive uh, in this morning, I need you guys to just do something. I need everyone to just look right up here with me. I need everyone uh, to put your hands at your waist. I need you guys to put on your spiritual seatbelts with me this morning. So just go ahead and put them on. We're going to get, we're going to go very fast and deep today. We're going to talk about some things from the Old Testament uh, that, that you may struggle with a little bit, and I'm going to challenge your theology. And so before uh, we get into the passage of scripture, I just want to share a story with you uh, this morning. So a little over 10 years ago, my family and I, so my wife uh, and myself and our two oldest children were the only two that were uh, born at that point, and we moved from Ionia, Michigan, right here. Uh, we moved down uh, just north of Tampa, Florida, and when we got there, um, our first year and a half was spent in somewhat um, of a little bit of a culture shock. Um, surprise, surprise, right? And so uh, we felt like we were aliens or strangers in um, the same country, uh, just in a new state. And so we go, and we would walk into stores, and we would walk into malls and shopping centers, and we would be so overwhelmed, so overwhelmed uh, when we would go out that what was supposed to be a fun excursion to, to get to know our area um, fresh and new would turn into a disaster, an absolute disaster. Uh, we, we would get so overwhelmed with things and, and, and frustrated with things um, that we would see. My wife and I were so floored. I would maybe even go as to say that we were flabbergasted at, at the state of the, the place in which we found ourselves living. Uh, the worldliness had run rampant in the city in which we lived. The place that we lived had the highest homeless drug and alcohol problem out of any other city in the entire state of Florida. There were strip clubs on every single corner of every single main section of road. People dressed with half of their body covered, if that, all the time walking everywhere. There were billboards about just absolute nonsense everywhere that you looked. Worldliness was just completely rampant in that area. But as time grew on, my wife and I begin to grow accustomed to life there. We begin to realize that this is just how worldliness has crept in to the area in which God had called us to minister to for 10 years. We felt like, for the most part, we had begun to make adjustments about where we went. We begin to make adjustments about where we took our children to protect them, to be able to have godly conversations with them before they asked us questions because they saw or heard something that they didn't need to know at that point. However, there was one thing that I have not adjusted to, and I don't think I actually ever will. Never. And it's this, that that worldliness was not just in Newport Ritchie, Florida. That worldliness is rampant in the entire world around us. And the one thing that I cannot adjust to is the course in which we find our nation on. Would you guys agree with that, church? The course in which we find our nation on. 
we as a country have shed more innocent blood in the slaughter of the unborn than any other nation ever in the history of mankind. And in, in a couple of years back, our country decided that we were going to redefine God's standard of marriage. We, we chose to completely strip away what was designed from the very beginning of the Bible. Redefining what God stated was already good. Go back and read Genesis. Marriage was instituted by God himself as one man and one woman. And our nation has completely redefined it. What I can't get around, church, is that beyond that, that there is an indictment on us as Christians. Would you guys agree with me? There is an indictment on anyone who labels themselves a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. And perhaps even greater, though, than those things is the coldness and the apathy in the lives of so many who profess to be Christians. The spiritual dullness as the Bible talks about, is permeating in the hearts and lives of people who fill churches just like this every single week. Now maybe I live in make-believe land. Or maybe I was just naive for the first several years of marriage and, and into ministry. And maybe I was just really disconnected of the reality of what was taking place. Perhaps, perhaps, I just had an unreal expectation of our community, of our county, our state, our country. And now I feel like that reality is hitting closer to home than I would care to think, imagine, or even feel. It has hit me so hard that in the last few weeks I have started to feel sick, almost physically ill at what I see on a daily basis. I've started weeping and praying with my wife at night and I've even brought myself to face the harsh fact that unless the, 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 the course of our nation changes, I could end up in prison for what I believe and what I teach and what I preach along with thousands of other pastors here in this country alone. You do understand that our government is threatening to do these things. You guys understand this. Jesus warned his men in John chapter 15 that the world would hate us for following him. We were told, we were confronted, and, and I think that that day is fully unfolding in front of us as we speak. We have come to this place where we need to understand that it is better to bear the wrath and hatred of the world than to bear the wrath of God and to shame His name. We're in that place, church. We are living in a world that is increasingly hostile towards the things of God, and we used to be tolerated as Christians. But today, we're coming to a place where they want to eliminate Christians. There was a man by the name of Dr. Nyquist who was the president of the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. 
And he was really clear with us as he addressed us as pastors at a conference several years ago where he reminded us that we should expect increased litigation against us. That we should see a continued erosion of religious freedom and we should see further isolation from our government. It's going to happen. He then closed out by saying, Christian, get ready to be lonely. Pastor, get ready to stand alone. Church, I don't share these things with you to scare you. I don't share these things with you to be doom or gloom. I mean, the reality that is written clearly in Scripture is that this is coming. And I would like, please, to encourage you, beg of you, to not think that just because you hold to a certain doctrinal position about the end times, or just because you hold to a certain view of what God's word says does not, does not mean that we will not be persecuted as Christians. Time is coming. Persecution is coming. I'm not here to harp on your emotions. I'm not here to get your feelings going this morning. Church, the reality is, is that we are way past that. We are way past that point. Feelings and emotions and doctrinal positions and disagreements are not going to turn this church around. They're not going to turn around this community or this nation. It's not going to happen. Today, we are not in church because of an elephant or a donkey. We are not here because of politics. It is not me here trying to get us to become a more patriotic church. Today is about God's people once again seeking him through prayer. That would have been a great place for an amen, church. Church, it is really clear that we only have two choices this morning. Revival or ruin. Revival or ruin. I'm reminded of what one of my professors once said to me, that we will either experience revival through desperation or through devastation. May God, may God, please bring us revival through desperation and spare us further devastation. That has been my wife and I's prayer, not just for this church, but for this community, for this county, for this state. And for our nation. You know the course though that we are walking on is the exact same one that the nation of Israel too walked. They were warned about what would happen and sadly they refused to listen. They were also told what they could do to make it right once again experiencing God's power and blessing. I would like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Chronicles. Second Chronicles. I'm going to read to us this morning a passage of scripture. And those of you who are gold star students, we're also going to be in Galatians chapter 3 if you would like to turn there as well. But just hold the place. Chronicles chapter 7. I'm going to start in verse number 12. 
And it says, and then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. Verse 14, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. Verse 17, and as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne as I have covenanted with David your father, saying you shall not lack a man to rule Israel. But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you, and you go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you, and this house that I have consecrated for my name, and I will cast you out of my sight, and I will make it a proverb and a byword among my people. And at this house, which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? And verse 22, and they will say, because they have abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this disaster on them. And this is God's word for us today. God, I come to you right now, Lord, and I ask of you to please help us to keep an open mind this morning as we begin to dive into this passage and what it means for us here in America. What does it mean for Ionia and the Well Church? God, I ask for truth to go forth this morning to penetrate hearts and lives, that your light will be shown in the darkness and that we would leave a people ready for revival, not ruin. God, use this sermon today. Holy Spirit, help me to have boldness and liberty in my speech. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Now church, I want you to bear in mind a few things this morning with me. There are going to be a few, a few things that we look at about this passage of scripture, and I feel like I need to break this open to help you understand why we're looking at this. The first thing I need you to know is that America is not a covenant nation. America is not a covenant nation. God has made no promise in scripture to our physical ancestors that would guarantee us as a nation any national status. The blessing that God is speaking to here and in other passages are not only spiritual, a relationship with God, but a great deal is also placed on the physical. Hence the word, uh, the, the use of the word land. Land is spoken about multiple times here. If you look at the history of Israel, when God judged the people, the land, or might we say the physical well-being, was greatly affected by God's judgment. So first, America is not a covenant nation. The second thing, the covenant that God made here with Israel in this passage, it required individual obedience and national obedience. Meaning God desired for individuals to obey, simply stating that each person had a responsibility to live by faith and in obedience to what God commanded of them. It's the same for us today as believers. 
as a nation, God established a clear order of leadership through priests and prophets and even judges. And these individuals sometimes served as kings and governors and even local leaders. And their primary purpose was to ensure that the people were obeying God's law. Church, when this went as planned, blessings were unbelievable when this went as planned. But when when disobedience ensued, devastation always followed. Devastation always followed. I want you to look back with me at verse number 19. But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commands that I have set before you, and you go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from the land that I have given you in this house that I have consecrated in my name, and I will cast you out of my sight, and I will make it a proverb and a byword among my people. And he goes on to say, and at this house, which was exalted, past tense, everyone passed by and will be astonished. I want us to hang tight right there on that word astonished. If you have that word in your Bible, whatever word your Bible uses, I want you to underline, circle it, highlight it. I need you to do something with it. Make it stick out to you. That word astonished there comes from the Hebrew word meaning to shock or to stun or to devastate. It was once a marvel to look upon this beautiful place and this glorious thing. But now it was devastated and ruined and the people were stunned. They were shocked because God had allowed the ruin of his nation. Yet the text could not be more clear here for us about what would happen if people continually disobeyed God. This passage is so enlightening to us this morning. But I have to ask the question, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for America? What does this mean for us in Ionia and the well church? I need you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. But hold your spot here in 2 Chronicles. Galatians chapter 3 Starting in verse 21, it says, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned any or everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Verse 23, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Verse 25, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Amen, church? For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to promise. According to promise. So the third thing I need us to see this morning is that as Christians, the covenant promise of spiritual blessing applies to us. The covenant blessing 
applies to us. The promise of mercy and forgiveness and prosperity is ours as long as we remain faithful. This is why the spiritual state of the church in our nation is the key to the blessing of an entire nation. God is going to, if God is ever going to bless America, it will not be for the sake of the nation itself. It will be for the sake of his people in that nation. Psalm 33, 12 is going to come to the screen and it says this, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he has chosen for his inheritance. Meaning that God will only bless the nation, not for the sake of the nation, but for the sake of his people in the nation. I need you to understand something. All of you who, moms in the room, raise your hand. If you think, I have a child. Dads, raise your hand. All right, before your wife ever got pregnant, there was a conception that occurred before that birth. Correct? Say yes, that's science. Yep, yep. Okay. Now, before the birth of our nation, there was a conception that occurred. On April 29th of 1607, voyagers came across the Atlantic Ocean on the Susan Constant, the Discovery, and the Godspeed, and they hit the shores of the Virginia Beach. They gathered around a seven-foot wooden cross that they had brought with them from England. Reverend Hunt gathered the people together at Cape Henry that day, and they read from Matthew 15, 13, and it says this. He said, every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted shall be rooted up. He then goes on to pray and dedicate this new land and this nation that was coming to the will and the purposes of God. Church, we need to go back to our roots this morning. Not our political roots. Not our religious roots. Not our traditional traditions and roots. Church, we must go back to our rooting of faith in Jesus Christ. And a belief in Him. We must go back to the cross like those believers who knelt in the sand at Cape Henry. And we must seek God and rededicate our lives to Him. And if you've never dedicated, then that's where you need to start. We as a church need to kneel and say, God, please, please do something radical in my life so that I don't look this way anymore. I want to seek you. I want to follow you. I want to bring light and truth to people who have no hope. Church, it starts right here. Right here. There was a small body of believers that set course for our nation. Oh, how we have drifted far from that course. Church, if we are called by his name, and we are not fulfilling the conditions of divine blessing, then there is no hope whatsoever for this nation. There is no hope whatsoever for this state, this county, this community, or even this church if we are not fulfilling the conditions of divine blessing. Church, our nation is in desperate shape, but the hope of our nation rests in Jesus Christ. Little commercial break here. 
church, I want you to come back next week. We're launching a brand new series about hope is here. We're going to be talking the next three weeks about how we can find hope and how we can bring hope. We're going to be participating with nearly 15,000 other churches in National Back to Church Sunday. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss it. Come, be encouraged by the word of God. Come, if you are hopeless, invite your friends and your family who have no hope and let them hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, we must take the necessary steps to once again be God blessed so God can bless America. But more importantly, so that this nation can once again become a beacon of hope for a lost and a dying world that has none at all. We need to do this, and it starts with us. And so church, the question before us this morning is this, revival or ruin, which one do you want? I want revival. Will you stand with me in that? I believe that we all would say it out loud. We want revival. But what do we have to do to change course? Well, you have to reroute your direction. So I need you to see this morning that we must humbly seek God in prayer. We must humbly seek God in prayer. In essence, we have to commune with God. We have to seek to know Him. We have to learn of Him and to connect with Him. I have a question for you this morning. Uh, how many of you um, like to uh, be on your cell phone? You check the news, you like to play games, you text, you're on Facebook, hmm, Twitter, Instagram, any other whatever uh, app that you can get on and post pictures that are unnecessary. Um, several years ago, my wife's not in the room, so I'm going to share a story. So nobody better tell her. Actually, I already asked her permission, so you're good. Um, several years ago, uh, I had come home after a really long day at the office. Um, my brain was somewhat fried, um, but uh, something that my wife and I had determined to do early on uh, in ministry was that at night, um, after our children went to bed, that we would dedicate an hour of time uh, to, just, to just engage together, to talk uh, to pray together, to, to just talk about life and just do life. It was a time that we set aside every single night uh, to do this. And this one night, though, I came home uh, fully expecting to just have conversation with my wife. And the kids are already asleep, and I walk in, um, and I start getting around for bed, and I sit down on the edge of our bed, and my wife's on her cell phone. And I thought that she uh, was texting somebody uh, or whatnot. And so I just started talking uh, with the assumption that she was going to put that phone down as soon as she was done texting. Lo and behold, she did not put the phone down. And I was just talking away, just talking away, getting ready for bed. And every time I would glance over, she would just slowly nod. Anybody ever experienced this with your spouse? There's just the slow nod while the phone's, yeah, okay. And so she, she just keeps going and keeps going. And I was like, I got to the point where I was starting to get frustrated. And, and uh, all for confession in church, I got a little agitated and raised my voice. I was like, why are you on your phone? I'm like, this is our time. And, and my wife kind of like put the phone down like, oh, she's in a bad mood. And I was so frustrated in that moment of time because I was trying to engage with her. I wanted her undivided attention. 
I wanted her to look me in the eyes. I wanted to have a relationship with her in that very moment of time. Church, that's exactly what God is asking us for through prayer. He wants to commune with us. God wants our undivided attention. He wants us to seek his face. That phrase that we use and we see throughout scripture means that we're inquiring after God to seek his face. God wants us to seek him passionately and personally and persistently. Too many times, church, I feel like we go to God because we need a fix. Our prayers become so selfish. They become so man-centered. But God wants to know us personally. Church, if you walk away with nothing else here this morning, I want you to know that we must seek God's heart far before we seek his hand. We must seek God's heart far before we seek his hand. We have to know who he is. Yes, we are to come before him boldly. And we are to come humbly into the throne room. Meaning that we are to have a sense of wonder and awe. But we are to be in total submission to his will and to his ways. Our prayers should sound something like this. Lord, help me to want what you want for me. Help me not to seek the things that you don't want for me. Church, I would encourage you, do you want life change? Ask God to change the taste buds of your heart. Ask God to change the taste buds of your heart. Ask him to to change your wants and your desires. For those of you who are on Facebook, I posted a quote this morning on our church's Facebook page. It said this, it said this about our desires, okay? It says that, that our, our desires will never lie to us. The pleasures of our heart will show us truly where we are at with God. So church, ask him. You want a move of God in your life? Ask him to change the taste buds of your heart. Church, we also must repent to experience healing. We must repent to experience healing. I find it odd that in this passage of scripture, the first time I read it, the very first time as I was going through this, God told the nation of Israel, God is telling us as a church that we must humbly seek him through prayer. And then he said, repent. Why did God say that? Why did he say to humbly seek him through prayer and then repent? Think about that for just a moment. Because God knows the closer that you get to him, the more you will realize that you are wrong and he is right. That's why. God knows that. The way of repentance can be full and not half-hearted when we realize that. And we move from I'm sorry to God, please forgive me. It's no longer I'm sorry because I got caught. It's I want to be changed. Church, it's really hard for God to heal somebody who doesn't really think that they're sick. It is really hard for God to heal somebody who doesn't really think that they're sick. That's why Jesus said in Mark that he came to call, not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Do you know that a repented 
person is a repentant person. One who lives in repentance is someone who stays soft and sensitive and sober to the things of God. In other words, don't think that just because you call yourself a Christian that you don't need to repent anymore. Just because you call yourself a Christian. That was Israel's problem here, church. Because they were God's chosen people, they thought that they were above God's standard. But I want you to see this verse on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 4. And it says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begins at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? God always begins with his people. If our nation and our state and our community or our church is going to have revival and experience a course correction, then it starts right here with us, church. Right here in this room. If you go back and you read in the book of Amos, Amos says something over and over and over to the Israelites. He says, seek the Lord and live. Seek the Lord and live. Seek the Lord and live. Do you know that Amos was known as the hellfire and brimstone preacher? He was the one who seemed as though it was all condemnation, it was destruction. People are going to die because they're not following God. But continuously he said over and over and over, seek the Lord and live. Seek the Lord and live. He continuously said it. And you come back and you see at the end of Amos' book that the people finally repented, turned from their wicked ways. And they began to follow God yet again. And so church, we are here in this building this morning. And if we want revival to happen, then I'm asking you, will you turn from our wicked ways? All of us, every single one of us, including myself. We have to be a church that gets on our knees and repents of where we are so that our relationship with God is no longer severed and we can move forward. Revival will never occur here if we hold everything back. Revival will never happen if we're not willing to change. To be saved is to be sanctified. To be sanctified means to be set apart for holy use. We cannot be used in any holy way if we are not living in communion with God. Church, I'm asking you, if you're willing to let God seek your heart this morning, our church, our children downstairs, our community, our county, our state, our country needs for us. To seek God through prayer. Call me what you will for this statement. But changing the course of this world can begin when just one church gets on her knees and begins to seek God. Just one. And so the well, I'm asking you this morning if you'll get on your knees with me and humbly seek God for our church. I'm asking if you will humbly seek God for our community, for our county, for our state, for our nation. Church, will you? Who's willing to get out of their seat 
this morning and come to this altar and seek God for those things. Who's willing to say, God, search me. Let it start right here with me. Who's willing to get up with me and come? Come right now. Who's willing to get out of their seats and come and ask God? We're asking God that you would allow the Holy Spirit to convict us. That we would be genuine in us asking for you to search to search us. That in this place we would become so uncomfortable in our sinfulness, God, that we would not leave from here without being right with you. God, I'm, I'm asking that you could to begin to see and move in revival here through this church. I don't want to see ruin take place. But God, we have to come to you, we have to seek you, and we have to do so in humility. God, I'm asking that we would be a people who are just, that we are a people who are merciful, that we are a people who would walk humbly, as your word tells us in Micah chapter 6. God, I'm asking for a freshness and a newness in this place. I pray, God, as we abide in you, that you would prune us, that you would change us, that we would be moldable and pliable, that we would be clay in your hands, God. I pray that you would chisel out of us the things that need to be removed. I pray, Lord, that you would raise up people in leadership, people who are ready to, to be bold for you. God, I'm praying for a church that is selfless in their faith, God, I'm asking right now, God, I, I know that your word is powerful, but I'm asking for the Holy Spirit to convict lives because we know we have to take steps. I pray that we would not be afraid to move for you. I pray that we would be a church that never lacks in zeal, that we would constantly have spiritual fervor. I pray that we would be enthusiastic about the things of you. And like your word tells us, that we would let your word dwell within us richly. Give us the strength that we need to put off the old man and to put on genuine love. Help us to be a church that abhors what is evil. us be a church that is a beacon of light and hope and grace and mercy. Help us stand united under your banner. We just ask and pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen and amen. Church, I love you guys. We are here if you need prayer up here in the front. We hope you have a blessed week, and I look forward to seeing you next Sunday as we kick off our new series on hope. Love you guys.